Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk episode 451. That's right, 451 being the nomenclature of a rather um, uh, classic AKG microphone, which I might mention a little bit on later. Uh, This is the podcast that talks about uh, music technology, music production, electronic music, live music, all of those kind of things to do with synthesizers, software, all of that kind of stuff. So if this is your first time watching, uh, you might be watching via sonicstate.com forward slash live, which is where we uh, embed the player and we have our own IC chat room. Or you might be watching this on YouTube Live, which uh, welcome to you if you are, because uh, it's always good to have people from all over the place. But whichever it is why not subscribe you can subscribe to the video feed goes up uh we've got this live feed but we also got uh it goes up on youtube shortly afterwards uh, also if you're interested mp3 version audio only for listening on your commute to work or whatever uh you can subscribe on itunes anyway welcome one and all uh once oh yes and thank you to our sponsors isotope uh there is going to be a, a word from them a bit later on uh you have the chance to win their new vocoder software audio pro uh, vocal processing software a uh, vocal synth uh, that's going to be about halfway through the show so do stay tuned right let's get on to our guests um let's start with ty Un- oh no that's not ty Unwin. let's start with ty Unwin. uh very busy film tv music composer in fact I, I, although you said you'd come on if you were really desperately needed i had a feeling that you wanted me to ask you because you kept you, you did show up in the chat room so i hope i'm not coercing you i got the feeling that you were looking for a reason to be here how are you no. ty I'm I'm fine, thank you. I'm very tired. I'm right in the middle of a, a stupid deadline for tomorrow, and I won't sleep tonight. But that's fine. I just really need an excuse um, just to not be working. To be fair, so thank you for the excuse. That's all right. And and indeed, hopefully this will clear your creative buffers and you'll be able to get back with it and you and perhaps even save more time than you've lost by participating. Do you know, I'd love to say that the reality will be I'll be cursing everybody at eight o'clock in the morning with me going, why the did I say I'd do that? That's the reality. (laughs) But, well, uh, I, 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 I won't, I won't feel at all affronted because uh, I won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome, Ty. That's a pleasure to have you. Um, I, there were people in the chat room actually who were asking what, uh, what it is you were working on. If that was at all uh, something that you could even talk about, or maybe just loose details. Yeah, no, this this one I can. This it's uh, it's a BBC series about ten sixty six about the war, the battle of ten sixty six. Battle of Hastings. <laughs> Battle of Hastings, yeah. So three one hours and um, a ridiculous deadline. Wow. Yeah, lots, yeah. Of, lots of music. Huge amount lots of music. Lots of music. The good thing about it is that we're not going for a conventional score. So, you know, everyone imagines it's going to be quite period and whatever. But no, it's very, very synth heavy and um, lots of lots of very distorted analog synths. So, rock and roll, as I like to yeah. say. It's good. It's, it's working out well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, 1066, for those of you who didn't know, was when the Norman Conquest happened. And I, I went to uh, Hastings a couple of years ago and found out about the history. I didn't realise this, but this is... Bear with me. Um, <laughs> but at the time that the Norman Conquest happened, uh, Britain was in a more... Um, it was it was in a very sort of almost a holistic kind of phase with the Saxon uh, economy and everything. And people were sort of much more into kind of cooperation and monetary union, all those sort of things. Whereas actually when the invasion happened, they brought in a massive feudal system, got all the kind of posh uh, French toffs in to, to uh, cut up the land and, and get the peasants working for them again. And it completely changed the face of England. There are parallels if you're into the EU vote, but I won't go there. That's as political as I'll ever get. Anyway, um, let 
let's also let's jump across to the pond where things are politically more safe, possibly uh, uh, in terms of EU voting. Anyway, to <laughs> Mr. Richard Hilton, <laughs> who's from Chic and also uh, mans the controls for Nile Rogers Studio and is always swimming with the big creative fish. How are you, Rich? Very good, thank you. Excellent. I'm very glad to hear that. What's uh, what's been happening in your week? Have you been head down in the studio working on some exciting uh, waxing hotties, as I like to say? I've been doing some work here, yeah, and I've also just returned from visiting my son, whose birthday is today. Ah, oh, happy birthday. Which one? Corey. Happy birthday, Corey. I think that's there used to be a thing on uh, kids TV where you'd uh, where you'd say um, there would be a puppet that did all the continuity announcements and you'd give them away for people's <laughs> birthdays. So take this as some kind of feeble effort to well, to do something along that line. <laughs> he's twenty one today. Ah, <laughs> but how could he possibly be so old, Rich? You're, hey, really? You don't look a day over twenty one yourself. No kidding. Anyway, f- thank, thank you. you. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's got into me today. Uh, Gaz Williams as well there over in Bristol, uh, where he is working on various music productions. He's also a bass player and um, very keen music technologist. In fact, we published uh, another one of our Volca Vibes series today, which was to do with the MIDI oh. splitting uh, business. Anyway, oh, cool. how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Something I've always pondered about was um, there was a rock band called the Saxons, it's called Saxon. Yes, I remember but, them. But the Normans kicked the Saxons' bum, so why was there ever a rock band called the Normans? Not quite as, uh, <laughs> maybe not quite as sexy a word. I mean, Saxon, yeah. sexy, Norman hmm. doesn't sound quite so, <laughs> quite so sexy, perhaps. But yes, I take your point. Maybe they could have done a, a like Motorhead and Girls School formed a collaboration the way you had Motorhead v Sersko. You could have Normans versus Saxon, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in one of one of those. Um, uh, this is getting really the uh, sealed knot where they have reenactments of various uh, historical battles and everybody dresses up and kind of goes and runs about in muddy fields for a couple of hours and that seems to be uh, something that people do at a weekend. Not round here though, I must add. <laughs> Um, perhaps we should talk about music technology and stuff. Um, oh, actually, firstly, I wanted to, um, before I got there, this because this is episode 451, I thought I'd, I was trying to find, I've got a 451EB, which is a black one. This is the AK, legendary AKG mic, which started out uh, a lot, the C-series started a long time ago, but these were in the sort of 80s, and you saw them on uh, acoustic guitars, hi-hats, uh, all over the place, a very sort of pencil, and you could change the uh, you could change the um, capsule. I think I think the CK one was what it came with, which was a hypercardioid, and I used to hear them. They were really fizzy and toppy. Did you ever? Did you do you recall those? Rich, were they ever so big in the states? Possibly. Oh yeah, match that, pairs that, for overheads. That, that was your default small diaphragm condenser microphone, and as you said, hi hats, occasional acoustic guitars, um, things where you needed a lot of sparkle. Yeah, they were quite... They had a curve on them, didn't they? They mm-hmm. de- definitely weren't flat. Well, I don't know. Well, what is flat? But um, it, it's, it's got a sound, and uh, it's still useful. And when I see one, I'm never sad. That's flat, huh? This is flat. Well, you know, when it's flat, it's flat. That's the sort of thing. <laughs> but After the flat of, it, society meeting, we go to the flat audio society meeting. The flat audio society. Yeah, I bit, but um, yeah, I remember when I got one. Cause I can't remember why I bought it. I used to do a lot of live sound. I thought, you know, usually you'd end up with just a bunch of really worn out, crummy SM58 mics at any venue, venue you'd go to when I was touring. So I'd take my 451. And I always used, uh, but when I first got it, I just thought it's, uh, it sounded really kind of like 
brittle and shiny and very different to what I'd expected. Uh, I guess it wasn't that expensive, but uh, still have a lot of use for them, I guess. Mm. Although ribbon seems to have taken over from those duties to a degree. Not on hi-hats, possibly, but certainly on acoustic guitars, right? Different vibe. Absolutely. Yes. Ribbons very are, very, are wonderful and very popular these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they've got so they've got so much better. Gaz, got any fond memories of the four five one? We could move this section on quickly because it's obviously not <laughs> quite as thrilling as I thought it was going to be. Four five one. Ah, gosh, not particularly. I've never had one. I've never owned one. I've used them loads. I mean, uh, yeah, they're just like one of those venerable sort of stupid. You, you would expect to see it in this in the mic locker, wouldn't you? The four five one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I quite like them. I've I've used them. I'd use them on yeah acoustic guitars, and I've used them on loads of things actually. Thinking about it, um, good on the no. string on the fretboard rather than on the sound hole. I seem to remember. Yeah, I would. Yeah, about twelve fret. In yeah. Um, ah, oof, sorry, not I haven't got any. Okay, on that one. sorry. Right, <sighs> tie. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Right, let's move on then. Anyway, this is sort of dedicated to the AKG 451, one of those kind of stalwarts of... It's the condenser equivalent of perhaps the 57 or the 58, perhaps. It would be an ish thing. Okay, perhaps not. Right, uh, small let's... Small diaphragm. Small diaphragm, right, okay. 451 hats. Um, this is... Have I got this here? This is the... Uh, I think I've got a page here for it somewhere. Yeah, this was kind of cool. I, the, I didn't spot these coming, but it makes a lot of sense. These are the new iConnectivity uh, range, the MIOs, based loosely or, well, based heavily on the uh, hardware, the, the 2 Plus and the 4 Plus. Mm. I must confess, I know that sometimes I've had a little bit of issues, but... They are really useful audio, um, MIDI interface. These are just MIDI only. They come in three flavors. The MIO 10, which has got 10 by 10, but it's also got USB connectivity. You've got a couple of ports on there and a host port so you can plug in class-compliant controllers and bring that into the MIDI matrix. But the interesting thing is also you can move it around uh, via MIDI over Ethernet, which is RTP MIDI, which is a really useful... This is, I mean, this entire show is running on RTP MIDI and MIDI over... Although I'm not using a MIDI IO, I'm using it on my live set, which I finally discovered why my live setup didn't work last time when we did the Bristol gig was because I didn't save the settings into the flash ROM. But these three, um, we've got the MIO10, which I think is about uh, 200 bucks, MIO4, which is about 149, uh, sorry, 300 bucks for the M10, and then the MIO2, which doesn't have the Ethernet port but has four ports and two, you can plug two computers into it, is about uh, 69 bucks. Jolly, you MIDI interface is very dull, sort of fodder for uh, for reviews, perhaps, but really blooming useful. I'm going to go to you, Ty, first because you must have a whole pile of MIDI ports required for your setup. Because if you you probably can't see at the moment because the video is a little bit uh, blocky, that you have a ton of sense. What are you using for your interfaces? I'm running uh, Markham Unicorn DXT. I'm running four of those. And I'm running two of the uh, the Steinberg mid X eight. Do you remember those? Yes, I do. So I'm six base. I'm running six eight by eights at the moment, basically. Wow, and I bet that's not so quite enough. Well, um, I kind of have to start running, you know, kind of things on. I like to try and keep things on independent output, but a lot of the time I have to run multiple channels. But I have to say, I I hadn't I had no knowledge of these until you kind of bought them up and they look they look great i've got their um connect four and the two the ipad and the connect they look really well 
Um, so um, I think I'll probably just change my entire setup for these because these look good because there's not there's not many video interfaces out there that no. are really kind of rock solid. And I have an issue with mine that, at the moment because I run Nuendo and Nuendo basically thinks my um, the mark of the unicorn basis, which you can imagine how frustrating that is. So I'll boot up my template and all of a sudden I'll have no MIDI. And the only way uh, of doing it is to plug, unplug all the interfaces, plug them all back in, and then reboot, and then it will appear. Oh, that's, that's not what really, you want. That's really time consuming. So if these work, I'll probably just change everything for them because they look great. They, they look really good value as well. Oh, I think I just got to tie your audio connection has dropped. I wonder if it might be worth just flipping your video off for a second so that we can uh, get yeah, the benefit of, of your voice. Then that would make sense. But I, yeah, I think to, if you didn't get all of that, then uh, I think Ty uses Motus. But I mean, the thing about these is because they've got Ethernet connectivity, you can put, you could, you can have them stand and have a bunch of stuff plugged into them and have them, you know, miles away and feed it back over the Ethernet network. Um, I don't know, Rich, have you, they've been. That they're an American company, and I know they've been, you know, they, they, they haven't necessarily been quick to get their hardware out there. But when they first came out, the, the MIDI IO, uh, the, the uh, what was it, the iConnectivity MIDI plus, 4 Plus and 2 Plus allowed you to connect the audio from the iPads as well. But yes. what are you, do you have much use for MIDI interfaces in your studio? I bought one of theirs within the, within the last six months, as a matter ah, of fact. Which one did you get? Uh, a little two by two whatever the previous little two-by-two two one was. Uh, I had a remote situation where the previous one that I had there failed, and I needed another, and I looked into this, and I liked it, and I bought it, and it works great. And it's class-compliant, and nary a problem. It's just fantastic. And then you can, you can configure the uh, internal settings with all sorts of filtering and port routings and stuff, which I think that's the only downside to this. The configuration is a little bit of a kind of like, wow, particularly if you've got a, a 4 plus or maybe if it's a 10 plus, I can't imagine, because each of the USB ports has, I think, four ports built in as well. So it can be a bit, uh, a bit of daunting well, to begin with. But I know people have been pining away since opcode um, for interface capabilities that would mirror what that last one, the, the name escapes me at the moment, uh, did, and that they used to base whole live shows on. And uh, if this allows that degree of configurability, and I didn't even look into that, then that would be fantastic. What I think is particularly unique about these devices is they allow connection simultaneously to more than one computer. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Including our or an iOS device as well, which or, is that's or a computer and iOS device have you, but uh, it's that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that is pretty neat. I guess mm. I, I know. I mean, me and you both kind of jumped as soon as we heard about the four pluses, and I think you've got a two as well. I mean, you, I think you had some issues with yours, but I don't know if that's been resolved. But I mean, this is a good idea in terms of just. You know, that level of MIDI configurability and routing is actually, you know, while rather utilitarian, the po the possibilities are very uh, helpful. Yeah, um, I mean, it doesn't seem to say iOS though anywhere in the bump about it. It's sort of particularly going PC or Mac. I didn't notice that it was, but uh... I'm, assu I'm assuming that it's going to work iOS. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've got yeah, as you say, I got the four plus and I've got the the two as well. Um, one of the best things about them is when you use the host mode in the configuration software, you can reserve USB ports. Uh, 
and that's really handy and it seems like i think that's the only system i've seen that can do that so uh, on my one i've got uh so, so so the usb host can host eight separate usb devices oh, um, via a hub via via a hub but in the configuration software you can reserve it so um uh, and now it's a little bit of a kerfuffle. Once you've reserved them, you can then rename those I, those ports. But in order for the computer to uh, read those ports with the names that custom names, so for instance, I've got my OP1 on host five, so I'd rename that. So rather than it coming up as um, iConnectivity uh, USB host four, it'll just come up as OP1 which is what you want, really. You want to just sort of look for it and see it. In order to get that to work, though, is a bit of a kerfuffle. You have to um, you have to reset your entire MIDI system. Oh, it's a real pain. It's a pain. But once that is actually set up, then it's the only time I've ever managed to get USB to reliably work. So if I've got a project, for instance, that's addressing various MIDI devices on the USB host ports, it's not just you know normally when it turns on boots up they just just arbitrary yeah it's just arbitrary mm. right so you can reserve it and now they this will absolutely have the same function i'm sure uh but it does mean then that it will remember where they are so when you load up your project all the midi will still be addressing the same units uh which you know which is kind of what you'd expect it to do, but doesn't. So this, so that I think is a fantastic, uh, a fantastic aspect of them. Um, Price isn't bad too either. I mean, the ten by ten seems, you know, I mean, it's, that's the big one. It's about three hundred bucks. So uh, hmm. what's that about two hundred and twenty quid or something? Which seems pretty real. And they're good, solidly built. I guess that we remember you did that interview with Beardy Man, and he was running into all sorts of problems because he's got so many USB devices plugged into his computer controllers or what have you. They yeah. they they do exactly that. They jostle for kind of yeah. permission to use. So if he had one of those mm -hmm. in in the, in between with a yeah. host port a four plus, then that that might solve that problem because I'm sure it I'm sure it would. I found that aspect to be pretty robust of the I, of the eye connectivity. So I think it's uh, it's definitely something to applaud because I think you know with so many devices have got usb midi on so um uh, yeah so that that definitely is a, is a cool thing uh the the whole thing with the, the real sort of thing that made those eye connectivity headline grabbing was that audio pass through but now it's less important now isn't it because we can connect ipads and the like directly to computers uh with the latest well, yeah, it depends on what iOS and what OS, uh, yeah. iOS uh, operating system you've got as well. If you yeah. don't want to jump, which frankly yeah. lots of people don't want to go to, you know, the latest, they, then they've, they've, they've got that option. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Isn't it great that we're talking about these things now and, you know, it's still 30 plus years since MIDI and it's still got to play such a massive role. I'm going to come to you, Ty, just to see test your audio just in case that you, because I can't tell whether you've dropped off or not because you're... No, no, I'm still here. Ah, that's much better. That's a that much better... better. Yeah, that's great. Although we haven't got your uh, beautiful background, we can at least hear you. That's much better. Believe me, it's not that impressive. It's just some blue lights and a red T-shirt. <laughs> oh, Ty's been working too hard. He's on a downer. <laughs> it's not. It's a fantastic set. What are you talking about? Anyway, you can buy these things. Uh, I think you can get them now. It looks like it. Um, it Basically, you can. It looks like you can order them directly from uh, the uh, iConnectivity site because there's a there is actually uh, if we go back a page, I think there was a yeah you can add to cart and 
or find a retailer in your region. So yeah, good good job. Oh, look, I seem to have two in my 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 car. I'm not buying one at the moment. So I, I think the most the 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 point is that as Gaz was saying, really, the fact that anything that can take anything off the strain of USB hubs. Uh, for me, would be fantastic. So, you know, at the moment I've got, so that's six things with 64 channels coming out of, no, whatever it is, 128 channels, all coming out of um, uh, six USB ports. If I can take those off and stick them on a network, that's going to make my life a lot easier. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, ha- I didn't find the uh, the RTP MIDI doesn't really introduce an awful lot of latency into the system. I'm guessing you can have a dedicated router for it too if you really wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to do that and of course rtp midi is built into os x you can get a little utility for windows which just runs and it it sees the nodes on the network and you can go yeah i want to create a session between this and what have you and you can create a session within the network and all your devices can join it without getting too technical about it but hey we're a music tech show so why shouldn't we is what i say Uh, so yeah do check it out that's uh, iconnectivity.com if you want to check those out um so i think uh let's have a look oh yeah this is another i think this might just the reactor blocks has just come out and i know rich you found another um there's also the soft tube modular thing but what i think i'm going to do because time's moving on i think we'll just pop in the uh uh, note from our sponsors and then we'll come back to that so stay tuned folks this is uh basically uh isotope have have released the new vocal synth and we want to thank them very much for their sponsorship of the show Vocal Synth has a number of vocal processing engines. We've got Polyvox, which gives organic harmonies built from your voice. And I'm guessing this must utilize some of Isotope's magic algorithms. Vocoder module as well. If you're watching this on video, that actually is the former Isotope fairy. The CompuVox, which is a more of a uh, computerized kind of... And TalkBox. If you want to check this out, go isotope.com forward slash vocal synth. So once again, we thank Isotope for sponsoring the show. And we do have a competition winner from last week. We asked you to tweet the hashtag uh, vocal synth and voice manipulator uh, to the uh, Twitter handles at Isotope Inc. and at Sonic State. And we have a winner. This is from Ian Gould, uh, whose Twitter handle is at the Grand Manor. Uh, the Grand Manor, if you're listening. Uh, and he also added a little bit of extra information. EDM, this is one of the like the sort of Viz top tips. EDM producers transform boring plonkers into vocal bonkers with vocal synth. I think that's quite a, quite a witty. So uh, once again, if you want to uh, get in touch, The Grand Manor, uh, your Twitter handle, uh, then we will instruct the uh, the current isotope fairy to deposit the vocal synth into your inbox. Now, of course, we've also got a competition for this week, and you can win your very own copy of Isotope's vocal synth. Uh, we want you to tweet the hashtag SuperVoice, that's one word, the hashtag SuperVoice, and the hashtag vocal synth to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. So for those listening in audio, I'll say it again. Tweet the hashtag SuperVoice, one word, and the hashtag VocalSynth, one word, uh, to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. Once again, we thank um, Isotope for sponsorship of the show. Thank you very much. Right, let's get on to a bit of uh, modular action. 
This is the news that uh, Reactor Blocks 1.2's out. We've seen some previews of this before, but they've introduced some really interesting new features. This is calibration. So you can calibrate and scale CV IO for your analog modules. I'm guessing that's some kind of OSC device that's also being converted into some kind of controller information to CV. Very twingy and twangy this. But essentially they've got, uh, I think there are, uh, how many new modules are there? There are, uh, as a pitch, CV out, there is uh, gates and triggers, uh, also MIDI output, and then there's a couple of new um, other modules in there, machine sequencer and Niji drums. Now, we did see this at Superbooth, and what this essentially did is it, it interfaces with... Uh, um, is it DC or AC coupled? DC coupled, AC coupled, I can't remember, audio interface, which allows you to output effectively control voltages and trigger voltages out of an audio interface, such as the Expert Sleepers. A lot of the Motu stuff does it. I think RME does it as well. So you just need one of those kind of interfaces to be able to then speak real world uh, into CV and gate and also read it back in. That was the calibration routine at the beginning. The thing that's very interesting about the calibration routine is you can calibrate something that may not be originally designed for actual pitch scaling because it can compensate for the offness of it. So if it's not designed to do it, it can actually figure out what it needs to do and create a custom curve to be able to do that. So there's some really interesting possibilities there. I don't know, um, Rich, I mean, you, you mentioned also the... Uh, um, uh, uh, the soft tube version of this. I mean, Reactor, Reactor obviously is a much more... Um, advanced piece of software than perhaps the SoftTube, which is still at that sort of version one or version. Well, my impression of the SoftTube thing was that it was sort of a software-based mock-up of, hard, of yeah, hardware yeah. modular, whereas this is an interface protocol that allows you to use your existing hardware modular with their software, if well, I understand true. That's true, but Blocks also contains a number of modules that are emulations of existing modules too. So you can incorporate those. So you can do software versions and then go into the, you know, join it up with stuff that perhaps isn't being made. It's all built in Reactor, right? It seems, yes. It, it looks to me like this brings together two very currently popular worlds into one creative, cool environment. I mean, I'm really... I'm looking very much forward to hearing people come up with cool results with this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it could be a, a kind of missing link in many ways. I know, uh, Ty, you're uh, uh, in the world of modular. Do you, would this be something that's going to be useful in your system? I mean, you may already have it. You may already no. be. Uh... Do you know? It's one of those things. It's always just um, it's just on my list of things to check out, things to buy, basically. And uh, I just haven't got around. To, I haven't got around to doing it yet. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm big, a big reactor user, but I haven't got the latest version. I haven't done the update on it. Um, I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, because this is kind of what people have been wanting forever and a day, really. It's just anything that can really integrate software and hardware surely is the way, surely is the way forward. And because now, you know, all things analog, all things modular, um, it just it's, it, it seems the perfect way of integrating the two. So, I mean, it's a bit of a, from my point of view, it's a bit of a no-brainer when I can eventually 
I could imagine no I could imagine I mean this is the thing I mean that's the curse of being very busy I mean sometimes you need to you know you can find time to then re-explore some new equipment and then you know it recharges your technical and and, and uh, bank so you can then go oh I could use this here and this that there I mean yeah. I can understand how, how that works absolutely uh, it, and you're exactly right that is the thing but it's, again it's just having that time to do it when you have the time it's that's when all the real creative stuff happens, and, and I can see this being, from my point of view, um, really, really useful and really creative because I love it. I love all the hardware, so anything that can combine the two is great. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing that I'm, I'm guessing the thing is those I/O modules because the voltage is generated in software, it's going to be able to talk to your mo modular, it's going to be able to talk to URX stuff, it's going to be able to talk all sorts of ways, and that I guess is a good thing. I guess you're you've you've got some stuff that you know Erebus has got some CV control. Um, I think you've got some Altoria stuff. I don't know whether that this is something. I mean, you're not so deep in the modular world that this would perhaps uh, um, mm, excite not, you initially. Not yet. Um, I was also puzzled why the machine integration only supports machine the mark ii and not the mark one or the studio it seems a bit puzzling that to me so i'm not quite sure why that is um because ostensibly they're very similar the hard you know i don't quite don't quite oh, understand don't that yeah uh but uh, i mean this is cool it's dead cool i think it's a really exciting development um Ah, for me, I just, at the moment, I've just got such a distant relationship with software. I'm just spending very little time with music software. So um, it, I, I probably will come back into it for sure. But um, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I do need to get Reactor, actually, because the MIDI bass that I'm using, uh, the industrial radio bass, uh, has a special module that only works with the new reactor with the blocks yeah. so um they've got this thing called the imprint so i do need to get it so yeah i should sorry i haven't got much to add to that though well one thing that i mean this, this kind of got me thinking a little bit i we recently did a meet the makers uh with mark verbos who is uh, a really smart guy builds uh verbos electronics stuff it does them really cool kind of uh, west coast philosophy type synthesizer modules and we were discussing you know where things could go because one thing that he was thinking was you know Everybody who sees performing live with Modular has to have a mixer. And he was thinking, well, maybe we should have a mixer in Eurac, which is we're starting to see. But then we get into this problem with uh, Eurac because of its small format, or not, you know, or in spite of which, however way you want to look at it. What happens when you start to build a patch? It almost becomes inoperable. The more complex it is, the less easy it is to use because there's so much stuff in the way of it. You know, there's cables, and you know, so it's actually very. It becomes quite operability, operably difficult to do. And something like this native instruments blocks could, you know, because you could imagine the patch bay then becomes something separate to the actual modules. I mean, if it's interfacing with the module as well, great. But it, you might need less of it because you're not doing some of those, you know, clever things that that you that you would normally need uh, different hardware for. So, I mean, in terms of the evolution of this kind of interface, I think that's quite an interesting idea. I don't know, Rich, how you feel about it because, I mean, mod that's the thing about modular. It's, it, it's a victim of its own format because the more complex a patch, the more difficult it is either to deconstruct it or to operate it, I find, certainly in those smaller formats. Agreed. Understood. I guess that's why they used big patch cables in the beginning and spaced <laughs> the modules out bigger. And that's why Moog stuff is so big. 
Yeah, well, the Mother 32 obviously does that. We've uh, uh, another Meet the Makers, uh, which is coming up soon. We're talking to Steve Dunnington and we talked about the, the, the Mother and they decided to go for the patch bay to the to the uh, to the right of the controls. To, for that very reason but there is definitely a very strong school of thought that says you know there has to be a certain way you know the the, the input has to be near the knob or the you know just because it's easier to follow but it's a it, it's an interesting design issue because of the size and scale of Eurac and how big it's become so quickly you know more and more people are going to be finding this because it is that is a barrier for many people because they just look at it and go my god what's this you know it's just so hard to read in many ways and I can't think of it I can't think of a single another I mean it's a, a, like the studio patch bay at work I guess you know if you've got a bantam patch where it's very tightly packed I mean that's even more difficult unless you really know the layout and the layout is done in a very you know that again is quite hard to read and quite hard to find your way around if you're doing it for the first time so I suppose there are parallels there, maybe, or am I clutching again? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much. Then, then there's the tiny sizer. <laughs> yeah, well that's yeah. But that, that yeah with the little um, uh, cable side. connectors. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? That really is. Yeah. Uh, I did have some more notes on this, but I can't remember where they are now. But uh, yeah, if anyway, basically native instruments blocks. Uh, what's really uh, interesting about this is reactor 6 has actually come down in price and that includes blocks it's like 199 bucks you got upgrade for 89 dollars i think it is and all of this stuff comes with it and then of course uh, people are going to be are encouraged to build their own modules and then you can sell them via the reactor store and buy them as kind of additional things which is kind of similar to what softube are doing which is something that you mentioned the idea you know they've built the modular uh, interface sort of licensed or emulated uh, certainly so quite a lot of dope for um modules i think if i can click this it might load it doesn't seem to want to load oh there we go so we've got dope for modules and intelligel and various ones of their own and their kind of notion is that you could then buy additional modules i mean i think um and that the price for that they've just reduced it from 99 bucks to 79 bucks to the to the 17th of july so that might be something that you want to check out as well although it has to say you know there are less modules available you know it is limited to the ones that they've got and that obviously you need to buy through softube and have those emulations through them which i guess might make it a, a you know a, a smaller library of things to play with but uh, i wouldn't mind checking it out I, it's it's just i think without the hardware interaction as well as the software interaction it's it becomes again like you say gaz kind of removed and software complex software is exactly that you know it's, it's it's almost as as much as a turn off as a huge pile of cables going into a euro rack that you, know, you then have to try and figure out what it is or yeah. how did i get that patch i should also mention i think that that version of reactor because i noticed that they're pushing uh complete 10 at the moment on sale i think but doesn't come with that version of reactor so just it's worth noting that i think because i nearly fell for that one oh well, uh, so it's a separate upgrade so you have to pay another 89 bucks to get the blocks yeah is what that comes it? with complete 10 is the previous version of, um, of, of reactor. reactor so sort of incomplete 10 then really <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's only cause, it's only because 11's going to appear you yeah. know not in not too distant future ah okay right oh yeah because 10 was 10 last summer Yes, before yeah. I think. Yeah, was it some before? Maybe, maybe two yeah. summers ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. skipped a year in terms of complete packages, then. Yeah. There wasn't <laughs> wow. a complete year. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. Learn something new every day. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, ah, always nice to see a new instrument discovered. This is the subaccord. This is from the the GDR. This is a video by Das Filter. It's in German, but with uh, French, uh, English subtitles. But it's this monstrous uh, ninety. So it, it developed in isolation almost because of the Iron Curtain and the way that technology was kind of hidden behind. It was interestingly enough also developed at the uh, Funkhaus in Berlin where we went for Superbooth, which is a beautiful. Booth. These are some of the beauty shots of it. This is something called a subharmonic synthesizer, uh, and it's. Uh, this was on Peter Kern's uh, Create Digital Music blog because uh, he's in Berlin and they, I think it made an appearance quite recently at the Funk House where it was where it played. It was played. So I'll, I'll just let this play for a bit and you can have a sense of what it is. This is Manfred Miersch, who's a, a historian who's got access to one of the few remaining working ones in history. I won't play the whole thing. I encourage you to watch that. I mean, if you're interested in uh, unique and unusual electronic instruments, because, I mean, these things are becoming a massive rarity. You know, to have one suddenly come into the public consciousness like this is, is, is actually a fairly major event. I mean, this doesn't happen very often, right, Rich? I mean, I can't think of the last time it's certainly sort of the other side of, uh, of the Western world. I'm sure there must be more to come, I hope, because I always find it endlessly fascinating. Well, I certainly found this thing pretty fascinating. And I'd never seen or heard of it before, and that's not typical for me. <laughs> I like to think what? I know about these things. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's one of those hidden gems. The thing that's interesting, I didn't know this, um, it's a subharmonic generator, because traditionally harmonic generators generally fundamental then multiply up the harmonics, whereas what this does takes the fundamental and divide, so it goes into, I guess, I don't know what, you know, it's, it's just a slightly different approach, but it seems like... It's supposed to, well, it's described as a kind of uh, a, a, an etheric, no, ethereal organ with lots of very weird stuff going on. And it had aftertouch back then in 1958 when it was developed, which is, uh, I, you know, always, as, as you know, I do like to, to know these things. But I, I haven't heard any great examples of the sound it makes. I must admit, it did sound certainly very experimental. Yeah, and it was like some kind of open mic in a room. It wasn't that, yeah. you know, well... It wasn't presented from a from an audio purist's standpoint in that video, but he certainly is interested in it and uh, seemed to know his way around it quite a bit. Absolutely, I, I know, uh, Gaz. You're probably the mention of the Funk House yet again. Uh, you know, there we go. <laughs> I'm so privileged to be able to go. I didn't see one of these there, but I like the controls on this thing because it, ha it it had those kind of controls that you found in the wall at the Funk House and all those kind of funny little yeah. unusual electronic components we didn't get here. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, is there any plans to turn it into a virtual a virtual instrument at all to sample I, it? You know what? I think there has been a reactor um, construction of certainly subharmonic mm. synthesis, but I don't. Okay. I, I, I I have to to dig a bit more deeper on that. So I think mm. there might be a, a, a um, an ensemble that has some of the capabilities. Because I mean, you know, especially with rare instruments, that is one of the great things about virtual instrument. I think is to be able to sort of make those instruments live on. You know, uh, so yeah. So I think that would be great. I'd be very interested. I, you know, this reminds me a bit, uh, slightly in sound, to the Nova Chord, the Hammond synthesizer Nova Chord. Just in that odd, can't quite place it sound. Um, and of course, the Nova Chord was that was like. That had vanished, hadn't it, virtually, until it was uh, someone renovated one and then 
it turned into a virtual instrument. Didn't it, well, I that think. was uh, Dan Wilson, who's uh, Hideaway Studios, who's ran it, and I went to see it. And he had uh, he lives in a kind of fairly standard uh, detached house uh, near a main road, and I went in. He's just full of nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties electronics. I mean, and and, mm. and it was there. It, I think it was Mark Doty's originally, or Mark Doty arranged. You know, somehow had a connection with it, and he restored. Yeah. And those things just sound absolutely beautiful. They've got a, something about them. They're very and f- I think fully polyphonic and it's based on sort of organ mm. technology, but it, it, they did sound absolutely lovely, but very, mm. very rare and weigh probably half a ton, I would think. I don't know if anyone's ever seen one. Have you, have, Ty, have you ever had a chance to uh, see one of those in the flesh? I'm certainly, I imagine you haven't heard of this before because it's a, a no, surprise. It's, 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 I used to be really into this, um, into really, really into, I've said this before about being into kind of, um, 1940s, 50s, 60s, avant-garde electronic music, and I used to really be into it. And so I used, I did honestly think I kind of knew just through years of reading. You know, we all know about the the Traumatron and, as Gas said, the the Nova Chord. And I thought I kind of knew all of them. They're out there, and I've never mm. heard of this one. And they're, but they are really exciting. And I think, I think the thing that makes them special is that it's that crossover between. They are they they are real instruments. They look like real instruments. They feel like real instruments, and um, that's what a lot of more modern stuff just doesn't feel like. And a lot of it's psychological sometimes. Um, but do you know what I mean? It's it's like the sound production, and as you're feeling it, as you're playing it, it feels as one. If that makes sense. And I think these days, with a lot of technology, that it doesn't have that kind of warmth. Is is because it feels like the sound production and the interface are separate things. And right. That's what I think. That's what I think makes these kind of old-fashioned instruments special. Just because um, they they feel like real instruments, and they yeah they do sound. You know they sound. Uh, unusual and otherworldly and and uh in in some ways you know in some ways quite basic but they there's still a quality about the sound which is um which is beautiful it really is beautiful so yeah. I, I thought yeah i thought this clip was amazing i mean you know really well i imagine amazing. if you're into that uh, apparently it was based on now uh, i've got the notes here it was based on or it came out of the the mixer tritonium mixture tritonium uh which was a variant on the original Triatonium, uh, and that used subharmonic synthesis. It was, and it was apparently used in Hitchcock's *The Birds* soundtrack quite extensively. Mm-hmm. So, if you want an example of subharmonic synthesis, <laughs> then <laughs> that's the place to go. Although, I, you know, I can imagine it would, prob- it might be difficult to, uh, to to find it completely. Uh, now, one thing that was really good about this, uh, um, obviously, uh, the GDR. Um, broadcast system you know they obviously put quite a lot of money into this and they they released all of these electronic records you know in much of the same way that uh there was a lot of stuff coming out of bbc radiophonic workshop but it, in the gdr what uh what manfred was saying was they'd have they they they'd make all because it was an orchestral recording facility as well so they'd make all of these kind of albums which would be dance music or music for children or whatever and then they'd slip one of these experimental electronic tracks into the album at some point you know to try and lessen its kind of uh, its impact and not sort of bring down the atmosphere too much so they so and i'm guessing these must have been official kind of state releases <laughs> state release of mm-hmm. uh of 
obscure experimental electronic music, which I just thought, oh, what a what a kind of brilliant, a great notion. idea. Yeah, yeah, isn't that it's like it's quite subversive, isn't it? You just imagine in the uh, maybe in in the next uh, X Factor greatest hits of of ninety you know two thousand and fifteen album, they Carol gets to throw in a sort of experimental uh, Troutonium track or something. That would just be awesome. But I, I think it's unlikely. Maybe we should have legislation. Maybe if we leave uh, the EU, we can introduce some. UK specific legislation that says that has to happen. Any pure pop <laughs> releases have to have one experimental track thrown in there just just because. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, I can, see, I can see people voting for that. Mind you, they vote for anything, but from what I can see. Anyway, I won't go on too much more about that because uh, um, because just because. But it's an interesting concept. I do like that. Um, okay, right. Um, here's another one. This is one for your very heart, Gaz, I'd imagine. This is uh, a chap called Joachim Ekblad, uh, who took the trouble, took the time to uh, go to the Swedish, a Swedish lake on National Swedish Day on the 6th of June and do a purely battery-powered outside synth jam. I know it's one of them's wearing a waterproof, which does make me feel really nervous about doing that sort of thing. I suppose you're not talking, you know, full 240 volts. What a lovely idea, though. I won't play it all. I encourage you to go and check that. That came over at Synth- Synthtopia. Um, uh, James Lewin posted it over there. Gaz, do you think that... Um, and this... Two things. Obviously, with the advent of battery power and all of these things, it means that we can do all of these things in unusual spaces. Do you think, I mean, I know you're a big exponent of, of playing to the space. I mean, you did all those experiments with your bass rig and playing in specific rooms and try. Did you, how did those experiments go? Do you think that the space, when you compose in it, greatly affects? Yeah, well, I think so. I, I mean, and I've got quite a few battery things uh, and I, you know, and I've taken them out and set them up in, in places uh, and when I've played in those places, like I'm thinking about um, this one, big, like a big garden, there's a thing called a spinny, which is like a kind of central part. Uh, it's like a, it's all like, like enclosed with woodland and you have to kind of go through a little tunnel to get into the middle of it. And then there was like a, um, uh, there was some statues and stuff in the middle of this place. And uh, so I put various synths around in there. Should have got some footage of it really, because it was brilliant. Um, but the space really did lend itself to the music. You know, the music, you feel that you do play into the space. And uh, I really love doing that. So this kind of, you know, battery mobile thing is totally something I'm very interested in. And, you know, uh, I know we've been mentioning it quite a lot. And uh, the, the MyVolts uh, Kickstarter thing yes, was, got funded. Yep. Got, was successful, yeah. And, um, and the great thing with that is that I'll be able to bring a lot of my nine volt, uh, nine volt equipment. Well, not just nine volt now, is it? They're doing twelve volt. I think eighteen volts as well. Uh, really, I haven't seen that. But. Only, only DC though. They can't make it work with AC. Uh, but to be able to bring a whole bunch of things into the battery environment by utilizing this, by by plugging it in to a nine volt unit but going into uh, a phone battery um and i've been finding those phone batteries well we've got some quite big ones ones that are big enough to do ipad charge full ipad charges that they last 
they last for a long time when you run them off those batteries. You know, so much longer than um, uh, if you run it off the equivalent of AA batteries. Or, uh, or yeah. rather, some of these devices that run on AA batteries have also got a USB port that you can power it off USB, run it off the USB battery for so much longer. So... Uh, well, that's, so that's got to be, be a good thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, 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 to... yeah. Uh, like, so running all the Volkers off one battery rather than having to fart around <laughs> changing all, you know, six AA batteries into each unit. So just plug the MyVolts cable in into the into the phone battery. And it, it's really, really cool. Um, so I've been... Uh, the speakers I've been using for my battery setup have uh, been um, two... Uh, mini rig. Yeah, speaks. no, I've seen those. That that they're, 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 they're not. Do do you, I, I'm going to ask somebody else because one thing I, I wanted to do is come back and and just sort of. There's another question that's associated with this. Uh, Rich, I mean, do you think? Do you find? I mean, you play in a lot of different places. Obviously, festival stages. You know, I mean, you played Red Rocks and stuff. Did, did you find that your your playing was more epic? You were more adventurous or more atmosphere? Do you think it really greatly affects the way that you might? perhaps more improvised because obviously if you're playing specific specifically tailored music that is is more reproduction of a classic track whatever do you do you think it greatly affects that 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 environment affects the way that you would play well it sort of affects everything i mean it's wonderful to play outside first of all whether it's around a campfire or in you know at red rocks or at the hollywood bowl or you know in somebody's backyard it's just fun to play music outside just for openers. And, you know, when we compare this to something like that, um, well, obviously that, that, that's a much larger scale and you've got crew involved. The, the difficulty for me in this, well, I had a couple of difficulties, uh, is that most of these things don't make a sound without separate amplification and speaker. And thus, you're carrying a whole ton of stuff to the beach in order to have this jam with your friends on your Volcas or whatever. And um, the actual size of what you have to bring becomes large, whereas well, if we return to the singing around the campfire paradigm, with a an guitar acoustic or guitar or two and a couple of drums, and you're there. You know, it's, it's not, you don't have to create this whole audio environment in order for the thing to, to exist. So on some level, as much as romantically, I kind of enjoy the idea that you can do this. Um, I'm not likely to be one who's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, there, there yeah. are there, there's a whole movement. I mean, the uh, modular. Oh gosh, uh, the the Banahafar and Eric. Um, no, what were they called? They the, do... the bit mi- the bit miners in Bristol. Yeah, oh, is that one as well? Yeah, but they, that's a, a monthly session that takes place in the Miners' Arms. So Bitminers seems like a good name for it. Oh, yes, but I think you mentioned that. You bring That's an entirely battery-based jam session. So people bring whatever they want to bring. Uh, and just uh, <laughs> what's quite funny is people at that session, they don't do individual performances. You just literally bring what you do and get given a sync cable and just join in. And it's just a... So it's primarily Volker based, I'd imagine, based on the sync sync cable. Yeah, 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 pocket operators and the right. like. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, Ty, what about you? I mean, uh, you know, obviously, as a man who's very much tied to his setup, because you know you have to have repeatability. You have to. I know you've got a mobile rig as well. But when you do go to mobile stuff and maybe write in different places, do you find that it greatly affects the stuff that you do, or is it more about the technology that affects it? Uh, it's both. I think. I think the environment that you're writing in 
does completely alter um, how you write. Uh, I mean, I know for a fact the last time um, when we went away on holiday and I did a lot of work on the mobile rig, I did most of that outside, either sat you know on a balcony or on a beach with a beautiful view and all that kind of thing. And that did that did absolutely affect the way I wrote. It wasn't obviously the te- uh, the technology side of things um, affects the way you write because obviously. Uh, my mobile rig is is more limited than the full studio rig and sometimes those limitations are actually what makes it work and what makes it better to be fair and i've said this time and time again um but yeah the environment itself does affect everything and i I love the idea i absolutely love the idea of everything running off batteries and but it's becoming more and more doable but i mean what rich was saying about you know kind of the rig gets bigger and bigger um I think that really did used to be true, but these days there's more stuff that's coming out which kind of negates that really, and it's it's um it I mean, it's quite easy to take a, a small rig. I mean, I've got a little uh, I think it's, I don't know what the make is a little speaker, not like one of the what's name speakers that Gaz and I've got. You know, kind of the round tube ones, whatever they're called. What are they called, mini Gaz? Rig, mini rigs. Yeah. Mini, yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of those, but above that, there's like a little PA speaker I've got, which is probably about the size of an iPad, but um, the, it sounds fantastic, rechargeable. And then another thing that I've got recently, which I really didn't think I was going to be impressed with, and I've completely dismissed it, um, which is the Keith McMillian K Mix, which again. That can run off. Um, that can run off battery as well, because um, it can be powered by USB. And um, I don't. Has, has anyone tried the K Mix? No, I've been asking. I've been trying to get hold of one uh, for review, and they did say they sent one, but I probably need to poke them again. Uh, obviously, they've probably got but other. Do, do, do you know when it got announced? To be honest, I completely dismissed it. I've got all the other. I've got all the other Keith McMillan stuff, and I think a bit like Gaz, really, I'd kind of used it and had my time with it, and just kind of gone, yeah, it's fine, but I can't really find a really good use for it. And I looked at the K Mix, and it it just didn't tick any boxes, and it just didn't, you know, no, it just wasn't for me really. And then um, one way and another, I got to have a, a play with one, and my God, what it can do is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You know, it's an 18 out mixer, if you use it as a normal mixer, with built-in compression and EQ and reverb and all the normal stuff. But then it's also a door controller, and it's also a MIDI interface, all with sliders. And it's all completely sealable, so it's spillable. You can spill things on it. and you know. But the main thing going for it is it's smaller than an iPad. It's smaller than an iPad and is a full contained surround sound mixer, if you want it. Huh. And it it is just it's, it's, there are very few things that I look at and go oh this is of no interest and then I literally complete change of direction. I can honestly say that K mix is incredible, absolutely incredible. So that in terms of traveling, you know, kind of you know, I know for a fact that in terms of my traveling rig now, that has just replaced my Apogee Duet and replaced a lot of my Steinberg controllers. Oh just wow! Just qu- I'm just going to throw a shot. That's the. Uh, it's it's a kind of. Uh, it's a. It's like a Cuneo type control service, more faders, uh, but with um, with an audio interface and a MIDI interface built in. Right. Um, what does? But it, it's it's so much more than that. That's the thing because you're what you've just said is exactly how I perceived it. But it is a. It's a great little unit, and it's just so compact. I mean, it really is smaller than a. 
it's it's kind of halfway between a mini iPad and a normal sized iPad. Right, and, and it's, it's hardly got any depth through it. It's about at the widest point, it's a wedge, and at the widest point, it's about the width of a video cassette, just slightly bigger than a video, and then it goes very narrow. So it just slips into a gig bag, and it just solves so many issues. A complete <laughs> surprise, I have to say. Right. Oh, nice tip there, um, um, Ty. Brilliant. I mean, I think the battery thing is very interesting. I mean, we're going to be going to, I should put a plug this, is Kimmery Beats uh, is on Saturday in Cardiff at Chapter Arts. Uh, and during the day from about one o'clock, there's a kind of modular meet. So you'd be able to see various synthesizers and, and chat to synth people. And then from six o'clock, there are, I think, five or six performers. Uh, I'm one of those. But we're going to be streaming that. And we've set up, we've we've designed and we're testing a new rig. And one of the things that I've got there, I mean, we should have a good, decent wired connection. We've specified that. So it should be a much better quality. But we've got a multiple iPad and an iPhone as camera sources, which is all self-contained. Plus, they all run off batteries. Plus, uh, I've got this router which I can plug in, so we've got our own separate wireless network for them all to sit on. But that's also got a plug for a modem, which I've just tested, and I get five megabits up on a modem. So that's plenty for the video stream. And all of that can run off a battery, the whole thing. So we could do live streaming, four-camera live streaming with sound from a field, which... Is something I don't, I'm trying to find the uh, applications for that, but I think actually, you know, mm -hmm. once you start to use them and once you start to think about it, that, that means that you could do live events very, very easily, not constrained by networks necessarily if you've got a decent cellular signal. So, I mean, all of those things are it's becoming sort of in, in, in the same way it's becoming massively connected, it's also becoming massively disconnected, and you get this ability to be able to do OB and all of this stuff. So, but but uh, we'll be streaming from six o'clock. Uh, there are various performers there, but if you're in Cardiff, go head down to Chapter Arts, and they'll be we'll be there from about one p.m. something like that. So, uh, and I've been working on getting my set back together again, which is actually really difficult after leaving it for such a long time, trying to recreate the same vibe and 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 feeling i had when i was writing the stuff for that first bit is really is quite a different situation and i'm in the same place all i've done is built a slightly different rig but it's it's curious how that happens like that um but that's enough of the plugging of that sort of thing but yes um th these guys uh, if, if you're interested to know what they did what they were using uh they had quite a lot of stuff behringer xenix mixer core pandora which is a multi-effects uh, Alesis SR18, drum machine, Microcorg XL, Volca Bass, Volca Keys, Monotribe, Volca Beats, more Volca Bass, uh, Roland um, Boutique, JU06, a couple of through splitters, and a couple of, uh, um, a couple of um, like tablets, stroke, stroke notepads for recording the audio. And it seemed to work. I just had this awful feeling that perhaps they had to transport the whole lot there in a canoe or something. And it just I was starting <laughs> to get really scared about the water damage. But, you know, why not? It's, it seems like a great idea. Um, okay. Um, Rich, I don't know if you've got time for this, but um, this was the, the, the Synclavia V, which I'm quite interested in because of the, uh, I know that you had an attachment with Synclavia, right? If I'm... Okay, I'll press go and let's see what happens. Nothing. Excellent. That's probably because... Oh, here we go. There we are. So this is uh, a new instrument that uh, Arturia have, a software instrument, the Synclavia V. They worked with Cameron Jones, who was one of the original Hi, developers of it. I'm Darcy, Vice President of Product Management for Arturia. Today we are proud to announce the new Synclavia V software. 
it's not today, I should add. It was probably two or three weeks ago. But. Additive and time slice synthesis methods found in the original Synclavir. Working in partnership with Cameron Jones, the original inventor of the Synclavir system, we have recreated this classic synthesizer and have even taken it far beyond the original in its synthesis capabilities. In 1972... I won't play the whole thing because obviously you can go and see that video elsewhere. It's not exclusive to Earth by any means. Um, the Synclavia V, I mean, it's all part of the V collection, which is actually seems like a better deal because if you buy it separately, it's quite expensive, I think. 199 euros, so I guess nearly 200 bucks for a single instrument. But um, one of the things that... Uh, I mean, obviously, the Synclavia is a massively iconic instrument, m one that many people would never even... I've never even seen one in the flesh. You know, I don't... I, I remember seeing pictures of them and thinking, wow, that looks classy, and hearing that these kind of superstars used them, but I've never had the chance to check it out. And I know, Rich, you were hired as a kind of Synclavia driver at certain points in your career as well. So um, does this does this excite you? Or, I mean, how, how do you feel about this? Because, I mean, there must be something about the physical presence of a $125,000 instrument that, uh, that, that has a certain uh, frisson about it. Well, Synclavia was wonderful. Um, I didn't spend that much of my time, like I would say less than 5% of my time on a Synclavia, was spent working with the synthesis capabilities and using them beyond calling up existing patches. However, it was a cool synth. This is a cool product. I have it, and I've with it, and it seems like it does a lot of really cool stuff for somebody who wants to dig into that kind of an FM presentation. And, and initially, when the Synclavia was released, it was a synthesizer, and uh, it was shortly thereafter they put in the what did they call it? File Manager? SFM, uh, Sample File Manager. And they were able to take an individual sample and work with that. And then eventually they got, well, you know, polyphonic sampling into the thing and and then direct the disc recording and on and on. But um, this is a very cool and interesting product. And I think uh, R3 is likely to do pretty well with it. So, what, I mean, what would you describe as the kind of sonic fingerprint of that kind of world? Because obviously... To many, I mean, to my mind, I, all I recall is very bright, sparkly stuff, and the most, um, as I understood it, that the, the most high fidelity sample playback that was available at the time. Is that a fair thing, or is there yeah, more well, to it? Yeah, well, certainly the Synclavier had a fantastic sound in playback of anything, which is really the audio that came out of the thing sounded wonderful, and still probably does, I'm sure. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. The, the actual hardware itself was great sounding and fun to operate. You know, on the downside, the buttons were crap and the power supplies blew about one or two a year. But Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. It was horribly underspecked in terms of the power supplies. But at least the early ones and the one I was operating was. Yeah, I, we would replace a power supply a year, maybe two. Um, wow. I didn't realize that because they always looked like they were because the thing about the Fairlight, which was, you know, the other massively expensive kind of iconic instrument of the time, perhaps a little bit later, was it always looked like a sort of cheap computer rack with a kind of a relatively nice keyboard by comparison. The Synclavia looked like it had a sort of class and had wood end cheeks, for God's sake. And, you know, the backlit buttons, which at the time was kind of quite a, quite a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the buttons were cool and did a lot of different stuff, but they also uh, could be broken. <laughs> and uh, wow. if I remember correctly, it was tricky to replace one of them at a time. You'd have to replace a row of them at a time, uh, if I'm oh. not mistaken. 
it's all on one mm. row. But but uh, and I might be wrong about that. But I, that's a vague question. But Synclavier is a fantastic thing, and uh, it was really exciting at the time. And uh, the synthesis capabilities were cool, and a lot of people did a lot more work on that part of the machine than I did. But uh, this software by Arturia is really nice. I'm very pleased about it. Oh, cool. Uh, Ty, uh, you're a man who has a legendary collection of synthesizers. Have you, uh, first of all, have you ever actually played, touched, been in the presence of a, a real Synclavier? I have played one. And uh, exactly like Rich said, the um, the sound quality that comes out of them is... It's just it's proper top-end stuff, really. I mean, it is. it just sounds beautiful. And I think, uh, but I think the way that um, Arturia have done this is the right way of doing it because there were lots of calls at the time going, well, what's the point in having a Synclavier if you haven't got the sample library and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are, there are plenty of sample libraries out there that take all the Synclavier library and do what they want with them. But, uh, you know, this was the thing about the Synclavier that was kind of overlooked um, was, as Rich said, it was a synth. It was, it was always meant to be a synth. It wasn't meant to be a sampler. And the sampling kind of came because they could, really, and because Fairlight were doing it. And so that's kind of why this, the sampling side of things took off. And um, uh, But as a synthesizer, it's always been incredible. It's always had that, as you say, that kind of uh, high-end kind of FM sheen kind of sound. And what I think what Arturia have done with it is is fantastic. And also, okay. just a plug for Arturia, that, you know, their, their collection, the V collection, is... a you know, it is a bargain. It's yeah, really, three three nine nine euros. So for the price of two uh, Synclavier Vs, you just get the you whole get lot. Everything you get, absolutely everything. It is a you know, as a collection, it is fantastic. I mean, you could quite happily, if you're into synthesizers, if you can't make some really good music with just just that collection, then you're doing something wrong. You know, it's. Um, <laughs> It's true. So. I should mention, because there was a uh, um, Wookiee in the chat room said uh, uh, he didn't like the GUIs, too small and fiddly. I'm pretty sure that they've updated all they've of that in the it. latest version, so you can make larger and they're scalable, so you are able to actually make it bigger yeah. and what have you. So that, that that's a bit... And there's a new browser. I remember... Um, uh, I forget the name of the chap um, in uh, who works at Artoria, uh, uh, and he showed me some of that stuff at uh, Mesa before release, and that it did look much more scalable. Yeah, it no, did they've look changed. Like... They've ch they've changed a lot of it. They've changed. Uh, they've changed the Jupiter rate. They've changed the CS80. They've changed quite a few of them, and they've made it all a lot more usable. And right. um, yeah, it's 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 great. But you know, the Synclavier. I, I think what I was afraid was I was afraid that everything that you played in it was suddenly going to take you back to 1985, and um, there, you know there are some patches in there that that does happen. Well, it but, has the original patches they boldly claim. Well, I so. don't know if, I don't know if they're the original patches, but there's a lot that you're thinking, oh, I've heard this before, I've heard that before. There are a lot of patches that you're very familiar with. I don't know whether they're the original, you know, kind of programs, but. But you can do so much more with it. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a nice. It's a really nice synth engine. It is really nice. Yeah. Ah, well okay. Um, yeah. Just a, I've just spotted in the YouTube chat room. Uh, synth Anatomy uh, has an extensive demo of the Synclavier V on his channel. If you want to check that out, I will. I will do because 
um, obviously you get uh, what you get from the manufacturers is a, is a different perspective. So that'd be interesting to do. I know, Gaz, you, uh, I, I know you said you weren't so necessarily connected with software instruments these days, but I mean, a lot of people, they have this because it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, it's standard fare, isn't it? It's the thing, you know, it's one of the things you must have this because there's just all of these things in there. And the, the Synclavia may be an, an exciting prospect to you as well. Well, I mean, it's always been this. I've never seen one in, you know, for real ever. And but it was something that I've it's been on my radar for a very long time. I first saw one in the Sting film Bring on the Night, which I think was released in 1987. Perhaps it was about the recording of his uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles album. So that was back in about 1985. I think it was in in a chateau in in France. I, uh and Sting was, is playing the, the Synclavier, and that's the first time I'd ever seen one. And then uh, I remember going through the big Zappa phase and getting albums like Jazz from Hell, which is entirely Synclavier, and uh, Civilization Phase 3, as well, another Zappa album, made entirely on the Synclavier. In fact, the Synclavier... Like Zappa it was the se- was, sequencing. It was the sequencing that really kind of got yeah, a lot of people excited as well. Yeah, because he was looking for this he was getting increasingly frustrated that that musicians couldn't play the music that he was composing um <laughs> so he when he got hold of a synclavier he, he almost abandoned his musicians and he thought right finally here's a here's some here's a way that i can uh, i can realize my my music so so it's been something that i'm i've been really intrigued about i never really understood how the sequence inside of it works i haven't looked at the arturia one does it have any sequencing facilities emulate? Does it emulate the sequencer at all, or is it just the sound engine? There's a just. There we go. Rich has has answered your questions just by the sheer movement of his head. <laughs> Astonishing. Mm. So, so yes, no, yeah. I suppose not. But that would make sense. I mean, a DAW is going to be a far more advanced uh, yeah, GUI. Yeah, for... that's true. But you're going to work in a different way, though, aren't you? And that's yeah, what I thought. sure. Because obviously Zappa was doing all that stuff, and pretty advanced sequencing stuff, I guess, especially for it, for the time. So, yeah, so that's always been something that's quite interesting to me. Uh, but in terms of the Sonic... Uh, I don't know the sonic. I don't know the sound of it particularly. So I be- I'm... Uh, no, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... The opening notes of Thriller uh, are, yeah, it is Synclavia. are a Synclavia, is a Synclavia. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and also, the other thing that I, I read, I think when I was looking, uh, looking about this when it first came out, was that um, it was actually the first commercial manifestation of FM synthesis, if I am correct about that as well, even though it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't as advanced as six operators. I don't know how many operators it had. Was it three or two oscillators for FM? I can't remember. Four oscillators, right. So four operators, but rather. The way it works is different to slightly different right. to the way a DX works. So you can get very advanced sounds that you couldn't get out of a DX because of the way it works with harmonics. So um, That's yeah, a good one. It's very, it's very clever. Yeah. Ah, well, I, I, I must check it out. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but yes, that's available as well. So, um, I think it's going to be one of those. I mean, all of these things are useful to have, and I don't know how easy it is to program. I mean, I'd imagine, you know, because GUIs were less so advanced, you know, certainly in the eighties, unless it was knob per function kind of stuff. How was it to program, Rich? Was it kind of a bit of a night? I mean, I guess they had an operator in the U, so. Not everybody was a cup of tea to sit there and program with it. It wasn't. It wasn't hard to operate at all. 
Oh, okay. Actually, they were some GUI there was interface things on the Synclavia that were absolutely brilliant and really fast. And the, sequ- and the sequencing was really great. And the tightness, the rhythmic tightness of what came out of the thing was stunning and kind of hard to beat in any other way and uh, kind of made your... Even the MIDI, it even set MIDI out very tightly as compared to using other MIDI interfaces when you when it became a MIDI interface <laughs> generator. <laughs> I could just imagine, yeah, we got the Synclavia for the tight MIDI. It was only uh, 128 people grand. Used to, but <laughs> used to like to do it that way, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is astonishing. That's kudos, isn't it? <laughs> it was cool. It was really cool. Excellent. Um, I think that's probably it for today. So um, I want to say thank you, everybody, for joining us. It has been a great conversation as ever. Uh, just to remind you again, um, Kimri Beats on Saturday the 18th this week. Kimri. Kimri. I'm so sorry, Gaz. I do my best. Kimri Beats. Kimri Beats. Right. It just looks <laughs> like it looks like it should say Kimru because it's C-Y-M-R-U. No, yeah. So, you know, it's your own fault for spelling it weirdly. Uh, well, you Welsh people. Kimri. <laughs> Wales tomorrow, Wales tomorrow. Oh have... yes, I'm, I yeah. actually I just put five pounds for Wales to win the Euro twenty six. <laughs> yeah, I got sixty six to uh, one. That's, so I reckon they're, they're gonna it's... they're gonna beat England. That's for sure. It's but, our uh, first we're, time we're... in a competition since nineteen fifty. 1958, maybe? So yeah. I think it's dead exciting. <laughs> it is, and they play well. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, this is the European Soccer Championships. that's happened every four years, two years offset from the World Cup. So, you know, and it, it, it's quite a big deal. I, anyway, I won't, we won't go into it, but hopefully England and Russia won't get kicked out. Um, but that yeah. would be really embarrassing. But I want to say thank you. I'll, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Gaz. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, Glastonbury, is it Glastonbury this weekend or next weekend? It's next end, so I've got ah, okay. an enormously busy. Uh, I think I mentioned about that before. But yeah, yeah, you've got a lot of bands now, to play. It's now seven, seven gigs, so I'm going to have a very busy, busy, busy festival. Uh, and I don't know, did I mention about the Lost Horizons gig on the Saturday? It's at three oh. o'clock in the afternoon. If I don't go to Glastonbury, by the way, uh, I'll just should say maybe, half past three Thursday, Matuki, five o'clock. Five o'clock Friday, Rumbelow's bandstand. Three o'clock, Matuki in the Lost Horizons. I'll come back and mention something about that one. Uh, uh, yeah. Seven no, th- uh, yeah, seven p.m. Saturday, Small World, Matuki. Ten o'clock Sunday, ten o'clock at night, bandstand, Asteroid Deluxe, and one a.m. in the morning. Last thing is Charlotte Church's Pop Dungeon. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a. <laughs> But the uh, the Lost Horizons one's going to be fun. It is an entirely nude gig, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't quite know. And what that is is there's a part is of the that... festival that's it's an enclosed area, and it's where they've got hot tubs and saunas and that kind of thing, and people are expected to disrobe completely. And there's a little stage in there, and they ask the bands to follow suit or follow birthday suit. <laughs> but, Jesus, um, that's that's yeah. a, a prospect. So I'm a bit kind of oh, don't quite know how that one's going to go, but. Um, well, because uh, I'd imagine if you're terribly nervous, when, when, when a gentleman is terribly nervous, uh, then one, <laughs> one's vitals tend to shrink into one's body. So yeah, it's not going to be your best potential presentation uh, but, of your manhood. My, my base is kind of in the right place, if you know what I mean. Uh, but my, a, a mate of mine said, he'll come and watch the gig and he'll go in the skinny, in the nudie blues, as I call it. And he'll go in the nudie blues if I raise my base height. <laughs> That's the deal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
Right. I'm imagining they're not going to live stream that particular event and unless you have a, some sort of special uh, pay TV type of license. But uh, anyway, Gaz, thank you for sharing with that. That sounds like great fun. Uh, I, did, I was going to say because it's peeing with rain here and I think oh, I hope it's not this weekend. But oh, it sounds God, like me ti- too. It's going to be a nightmare if it rains with all them gigs because, you know, trudging around. Yeah. Oh, God, so, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, actually, that does remind me of a, a Glastonbury. I was I used to stage manage the acoustic stage back in the mid, mid late 80s at uh, Glastonbury, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, as they started to bring in more mainstream acts, it got really kind of quite hard, hardcore and security, and it was really full on. And we, uh, I remember we had a sort of production caravan ba- backstage, and um, it was very hot one year, and I was sitting in the caravan talking to the production one of the production team about you know something that had to be done and uh this uh, lady walks in with a clipboard and nothing else on whatsoever she was being you know free and uh festival like but it was it was really uncomfortable for everybody there but she she was uh, i admire her braveness a, bra- a brave braveness but yeah it was it was weird i guess if we'd all been naked it would be a lot easier for all of us but i wasn't about to take my clothes off but anyway <laughs> that's just a story rich thank you very much for joining us as well i know you're a busy guy too uh, so thank you it's been a pleasure having you and i hope uh, we will speak to you again soon it's been great thank you and i wanted to say i'm coming to the uk next week and uh oh. well i'll be in london by wednesday and we've got the fold festival on that weekend so uh I'll be around. Ah, okay. okay. I won't have Brilliant. a lot of time, but I'll be around. Oh well, if we can, if we can geographically uh, synchronize, that might be uh, that might be cool. But uh, mm-hmm. keep, keep me posted of your movements. Always nice to see you in the flesh, though. I promise it will just be from the neck up, <laughs> the neck up and the and the knees down. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I promise. Yeah. Anyway, cheers, uh, cheers, Rich, and uh, of course. Uh, Ty Unwin's icon there. Thank you so much for joining us, Ty. I know you are extremely busy, and I, I do appreciate you. And I hope we've in some way managed to recharge your battery so that you can go back with fresh yeah. ears, eyes, and fingers to back to your back to your work. Absolutely. Just so you know, uh, just to keep in with Gaz. So I'm completely naked here, obviously, uh, just because <laughs> uh, you I can just thought be. was going to get in the mood and uh, swing of things. I'm really the camera's not working today, but uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry about I'm sorry about the lack of video. But um, as I said earlier on, uh, it's it is literally just because of the football when it's streaming and uh, living in the middle of nowhere, the whole broadband seems to go at the speed of a small uh, yes rodent, and so um, yeah, so I do so- sorry about that, but yes, that's all right. But and, well, um, th- thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you as ever. And, Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. So yes, uh, just to just to reiterate, we'll be streaming live again from six pm on Saturday with the performers at uh, Kimri Beats, uh, Kimri Beats. Sorry, Gaz, and yeah. uh, that will include myself. And uh, I should actually say who the other performers are. Thipal Sandra. Uh, let me see. I can I can probably write this down. I, I should have probably um, Kimri Kimri Beats. Well, while I look for that, I'll remind you of uh, our competition. Don't forget, uh, we're having uh, the chance to win Isotope's vocal synth. You t- tweet the hashtag SuperVoice and the hashtag vocal synth. That's the hashtag SuperVoice and the hashtag vocal synth to at SonicState and at Isotope Inc. Uh, to enter for a chance of winning. Uh, let me see if I can find the Cymru Beats. Uh, uh, Cymru Beats. Uh Cymru Beats. Yes, I even spelt that wrong. That's no good, is it? Let's see who we've got there. Uh, okay, so we've got uh, Thypal Sandra, uh, uh, VCO ADSR, who's really good, uh, someone called Mute Groups, Eden Gray, 
someone called Nick Bat. Uh, and um, so that makes it five people. So yes, we'll be streaming that. Look, it says event streaming live. You probably can't see that because it's too small. Let me see if I can make that a bit bigger. Event live stream on sonicstate.com. Actually, we'll be streaming it live via YouTube, so that's why you'll see it. Anyway, that's it for this time. Thank you very much for watching and listening, everybody. Don't forget, subscribe to the channel uh, and uh, get more of our good stuff. See you later.